Hi everyone, Daniel Ramsey here, the CEO of My Outdesk and the host of Scale the Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to having conversations that unlock the exact formula and strategies multi-million and billion dollar companies use to scale their business. You can visit me on our website at scalethepodcast.com or listen to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. I think there's something about growing up poor, having my mom give blood for food, living in a trailer park. Like I'm not, most people are afraid to lose everything. I've lost everything multiple times. So that fear doesn't exist. In fact, I'm not worried about even losing what I have today because I can just rebuild it. And I think it's because of those pivotal moments where, you know, I've almost lost it all. And so I grew up in Redding, California, which is a small town. It's, um, you know, 20, 30,000 people. I, you would go to the mall, there was one mall. You would go to the mall, and I, I remember this as a kid. This is what's cool about growing up in a small town. I would go to the mall, and I'd always see my friends. Like, I'd see my friends, or my cousins, or somebody that I knew. Um, and so it was a really small, tight-knit um, town. Even though I grew up in a trailer park, it happened to be in, in a nicer, like there's three areas that you can go to school in, but this trailer park happened to be in the nice area. So I went to a good school, a good you know, primary school, middle school, and high school. And so I had this opportunity to be friends with the kids that I considered rich kids. Like they had the nice clothes, the nice cars, their parents had you know, jobs or own businesses. So I had all these friends growing up that had found success. And I remember you know, my dad at some point, who was a hardworking guy, told me, if you want it, you're gonna have to work for it. And so I grew up mowing lawns, doing odd jobs for neighbors. Like I would do any amount of work to make money so I could go to the movies with my friends or go to lunch with my friends. I mean, a simple thing of going, and back then, you know, lunch was a lot cheaper, but you know, a sandwich costs $3.25. Like we didn't have the money for that. I gotta eat free in the cafeteria. If I wanted to eat, I had to go in the cafeteria and I wanted to eat because you know, you're a kid. But all my friends, their parents had money. So I would spend my Saturdays and Sundays and after school, like just working, mowing lawns. You know, we would stack wood for people or chop wood. Like I would just work because I wanted to be able to afford to go to lunch with my friends and go to the movies. And I mean, even by just simply buying clothes, my mom, you know, we would t we'd go to Sacramento, which was the big city, to go to the thrift stores every year in order to buy clothes for the next school years because I would grow in like a weed. I was a kid, you know? Pretty early on, I realized if I wanted something in life, uh, I, would, I would have to go get it myself and I'd have to figure out how. And so that created this, this uh, can-do uh, attitude, this, this idea that, you know, if you want something, you just have to plan for it and figure out how to work hard and, and go after and get it. I'm in a high school economics class and my professor was like, you know, you know, if you look at the numbers and the raw data, if you've raised poor, then you're gonna be poor. And I was young and naive and I thought this guy was God because he owned a business, had a really nice convertible car, was a business badass. And see, here's the thing. I thought business was the way I would pull myself and my family out of poverty. Like, I very early on, I identified that there was something off in my family. Like. 
they have this poverty mindset and they're always making excuses and, and but they're hardworking. So I, I don't want to negatively tent them. They're hardworking, honest people, but I knew something was wrong. And so I was looking for mentors in my world and this economics guy, I'm 14 or 15, and this economics guy was like God um, because he had owned a business, drove a car, young, dressed really well, by the way. He, he was like a, a middle-aged guy that just had, you know, knew how to dress. So he said, I raised my hand kind of naively, but what if you work hard? What if you try really, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, how can you change that reality? And he just looked at me and said, you can't. And I remember that being a pivotal moment because in my mind, I was like, I'm going to prove this guy and the rest of the world wrong. Fast forward, college, um, I got a finance degree at Sac State, which was a pretty useless in terms of a business degree. I don't want to mistake, learning is really important, but a college education, which is what I got, a finance degree, didn't actually help me building a business. The only help, I know how to read a financial statement. So that's the one positive thing that I got from finance. And I think that's been a big enabler for our success is that there's a clear relationship between growing a company and paying attention to bottom line and cash flow and all those good stuff. But I got a, a business degree, went and got a job because I wasn't sure what kind of business I wanted to own. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to get a degree. I worked for Barclays Global Investors, which is the largest like institutional investment company in the world. And I hated my job. I mean, I was stuck at a computer, doing the work all day long. Um, I remember my manager actually gave me a 1.3% raise. I was like, wow. Uh, inflation that year was like 3%. And I have a finance degree. And I'm working in the finance industry. And my manager was a finance guy. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why? Why are you giving me a 1.3% you know, raise? You're basically telling me I need to leave. You're, you're accelerating my desire to leave this job because you don't value my contributions. Um, he's like, I understand that's not what we're saying, but this is the best we can do. And I just remember going, I, I lost my path. In that moment, I was like, I was supposed to own a business. I was supposed to go down this other path. And instead, I got tricked by college, by you know, making good money, because I made good money you know, it was the first time that I made $50,000 in a year. And as a 22 year old, that was a lot of money for me. Um, I had a car, I had bought a house. And in that buying of the house, you know, I looked at the closing statement and I realized the real estate guy actually made like six, six grand selling me this house. You know, 3%, it was a $200,000 house. And then the mortgage person made like seven grand. And I'm like, man, this guy didn't spend any time with me like at all. I, I remember we, we drove in his Mercedes. He had this really cool, brand new, amazing Mercedes um, Benz. Smells like leather, everything is electronic. And this is a long time ago. This is like 2000, right? So 23, 24 years ago. Um, so it was like high-end $100,000 car back in the day. And we went and drove like eight different houses. And at the end, he just looked at me after we saw the last one and he goes, okay, Daniel, pick. Which one do you want? I was like, what do you mean pick? And he's like, yeah, you gotta pick one. I was like, all right, well, give me the one with green carpets and you know, cottage cheese on the ceiling. I, I, I'll change the carpets and I'll paint that and it'll be cool. So I bought my first home and I thought, 
after that experience and working for the bank and only getting a 1.3% raise, I'm like, I can probably do that job. Like, I think I could help people find, you know, houses and buy investment properties and I can do, I, I can do this job. So I, I quit working for, you know, Barclays Global Investors and because I had a degree, I was able to get a broker's license and I launched my first company. And I was 26 when I did this, pretty young. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'm, this is gonna be easy. I'm just gonna help one person every month buy a house. Cause you know, I don't need a lot of money. I was living off 50 grand. You know, one person buys a house, that's a $72,000 a year, you know, on average. All my friends are of age where they wanna buy houses. So I'm just gonna sell one house, um, you know, every month and I'm not gonna have to work hard. I'm gonna make great money. Um, I'm gonna help people buy houses, which is great because it's the number one source in the US of like wealth. So I was, this, is, this is what my future is gonna be. And it's funny because this is how naive I was. I, was, I would lock my um, office door and turn off my uh, computer and the phones. Like back then you had to have an office. So I actually had an office. Every day at 12 o'clock I'd eat lunch and then I'd shut everything down. Like I'd turn my lights off, I'd turn my phone, my computer off, and I'd nap. And I thought, this is the life, man. I figured it out. This business thing is great. And then what happened, funny enough, is I had three consecutive months where a deal fell through, meaning one of my friends or somebody that I knew didn't, ended up not buying the house or the mortgage didn't work or the seller pulled the deal or something. So I went, three months without any income and it started tearing into my savings and I was like, okay, I gotta change everything. I gotta hire people. I gotta get more than one deal a month. And that really kind of was the beginning of figuring out how to grow and scale a business. And I went back to what I did as a kid, which was find a mentor. And so I found somebody who was winning at a high level. I'm like, hey, what does it look like for you to run your business? Like, what is it, what's in your world right now? And he taught me things like, hey, you know, I have a CRM, um, you know, I'm spending money in this marketing place, I'm doing, you know, radio ads and billboards. And I was like, wow, well, I can't do radio ads right now because I just lost three months of my income, but I could do this other thing. So I, began down the path of scaling a real estate company. Started hiring managers, I opened an office in Redding, California, and we're really close to San Francisco, so I opened an office in San Jose, San Francisco area, and I started building out teams and building out systems and processes and really growing and scaling. It was exciting, and <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes. One of those mistakes was I didn't pay attention to the macroeconomics, so I had no idea that 2007 was gonna happen. In fact, 2006, you know, we're firing on all cylinders. I've got different managers running, running the business. Um, I've got 20, 30 employees. We're, we're, we're doing really, really good. I literally remember thinking, this business thing is so simple. You know, like it's just, I was like, this is great. In fact, um, October, November, and December of 2006, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm finally gonna be rich. I'm, I'm gonna be that guy. Like, cause they were just fantastic months. And then 2007 happens as the story is with anybody who was in business at that time. And 90% of my revenue just went whoosh, 
and it was gone. I went from making, you know, anywhere from 50, 60 to 100 grand a month. I literally made $10,000 in the first quarter of 2007. And when you have three offices, a bunch of employees, like that's a very narrow margin. And so literally I'm, I'm trying to hold on to the business, not sure what's happening. And so the mistake that I made, right? Cause this is what's important. My story should help you somehow succeed. And the mistake that I made back then was I wasn't paying attention to macro. I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what was happening with new housing starts. I wasn't paying attention to GDP. I wasn't paying attention to the, to the politics or what was going on in our economy. I just didn't pay attention. I was like narrowly focused on my business and how I was running. And I figured if I worked really hard and I tried, you know, and I hired the right people and I had everything in place, we'd win, even if all that stuff was happening, but that's just not the case. In fact, we closed all the offices. I literally, it was a very humble moment for me because I moved into my own home, meaning I closed all three offices, had to lay everyone off. It's really tough to, cause I'd never gone through a downturn. And so I'd never actually had to fire somebody for something that wasn't their fault. Like I've had to let go of somebody for a performance or because they were dishonest or something you know, like they weren't working in the business or they didn't have the right culture. There was a lot of reasons that I'd had to let people go, but this time was unique in the fact that I had to let a bunch of people go because I had made a mistake. Like I failed to know what was really happening and to know, you know, that this wasn't a time to surf. I needed to wait for better waves. So it was a really hard time, moved into my office, made a little um, home office for my company. And so in 2007, I went through a process where we transformed the business from a residential retail business to a, you know, investment, foreclosure, short sale, real estate practice. And in that process, it's, it's interesting because my brother who lived in San Diego and was friends with this guy, you know, I called him in 2006. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm killing it. I'm, I'm doing really well. And he's like, yeah, we're struggling down here. In fact, we're doing a thing called short sales. I'm like, what is a short sale? Like, I've never even heard of that. Um, but my brother had hired a virtual assistant to help him with some marketing stuff. And I needed to rebrand because the guy in San Diego, Christian said, hey, you need new business cards. You need to redo your website. You've got you've to tell the banks that you know how to do this. And I'm going to share with you how, like I'll help you put it together. And I was like, wow. Um, so he actually, I cut him in to the business and help, and paid him a referral fee for these banks. And then he showed me how to run a business in this new world where there was nobody selling other than banks. The banks had all the listings and we had to go after them. And in that rebrand process, my brother introduced me to Lily. Lily was the first virtual assistant that we ever hired at my out desk. What was cool about it is I hired this local marketing company in Sacramento to rebrand and give me a new logo because Ramsey Real Estate Group was the name of my company. It needed to be something different for, for the banks. And so she, Lily actually built a logo for me and I paid this company a thousand dollars to give me some logo ideas. I wasn't, I'm not a creative person. I'm not a, like a marketing creative person. And so the, the company that I paid locally for a thousand dollars 
their logos weren't as good as Lily's. And Lily was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, how long did it take? And she's like, ah, a couple hours. Don't worry about it. You don't even have to pay for it. I'm doing this because this is fun for me and hopefully we'll be able to work together. And I was like, wow, this is the culture in the Philippines. Like she's giving before she gets. And in conversations with Lily, I was like, hey, do you have any friends that might want a job? And so literally I hired Julie, our first virtual assistant in 2007, because I had rebranded and rebuilt the business. I needed help with paperwork. I needed help on the administrative and operation side of the business. And it literally worked. Like she could do all the, she could log into all the systems. She could do the paperwork. She was very helpful so that I could stay in my strength zone, which was talking to clients and, and getting banks to give me listings. She was organizing like spreadsheets and operations and projects and I was this is freaking amazing and my brother's like hey yeah we shouldn't tell anybody about Lily or Julie or all the people over in the Philippines we'll we, we can dominate the real estate world and people won't understand or know how we're doing it and I looked at him and I was like well what if we told everybody about this what if we helped other people experience what we've experienced and help the Filipinos get jobs and he was like okay let's try that and literally that's how my outdesk was born is out of this idea that I needed leverage in my business and I'd found somebody who was really good at being a support structure to a business and it was a really low cost. So it was like a double whammy. It was saving me money and at this time I was rebuilding. Over time we started building up like 30, 40 virtual assistants, then 100 um, and it was actually really cool and at one point in like 2009, I go on my honeymoon. We're in Guatemala, Francis Ford Coppola Resort, monkeys in the background, you know, this huge lake. We'd just been married a couple days and I had to go back to the bar at night. It's like 10, 11 o'clock at night. I need to go back to the bar and do work because there was nobody in my office who could handle it. And I was, I was there at the bar, the bartender, you know, it's like 11, 12, one o'clock, finally the bar, I think the bartender wanted to go home. Like I was the last guy in the place. And he's like, this one guy is making me stay here and he's not even buying drinks, he's just working. So he takes my cell phone and he snaps a photo and it's like, you know, dumb gringo, work is your God, beautiful bride back in, in, in your room and you're here. And I realized that in that moment, I had a business that owned me versus me owning the business. And I knew that I, you know, I wanted to have a family, I wanted to come back, and I wanted to have time freedom. That was the whole point of, of being my own boss and like running my own business, is I wanted to be able to travel and have time with my family and friends and not be tied to a business, but I wanted the business to be successful on its own. So what had happened is I'd gotten off track. I'd, I, I wasn't building the business the right way. And so I came back to Sacramento and I came back and I reorged everything. I started building systems and processes. I started streamlining, like I got rid of the real estate. I focused primarily on my out desk and I just started hiring leaders and you know people who were individual contributors to really supercharge growth. And it kind of started this whole process of understanding scale and team and how to build culture. At this honeymoon, I have this epiphany like that I don't own a business, the business owns me. And I sent, spent the next two years actually transforming the business, putting leaders, systematizing, 
you know, even things like setting up a CRM and creating workflows, very basic, you know, business stuff. But what I wanted to experience is could I leave the business and could the business continue? Meaning, could I go on a long vacation? And when I talk about long, I mean it long. And so in 2011, I actually moved to Peru with my wife. So we lived in South America. We actually went to Arequipa, which is this small town. Um, I say it's small. I mean, it has a million, million people. It was the second largest town in Peru. But <clears throat> it felt small because we, we were by ourselves. We were like the only you know, married couple, white people in Peru. We lived in an apartment downtown. It was really inexpensive too, like a brand new four bedroom, two and a half bath apartment that had this beautiful view of the city um, was like 350 bucks a month. And it had like a cleaner that came with it. And it was just, it was a really cool experience because we got to walk. We, we took language school. So Whitney and I, we enrolled in um, Spanish school for four hours a day. So literally we did four hours a day in the morning of Spanish school. We'd come back, have lunch, um, and kind of rest. And then I'd spend a couple hours, two to four hours every single day, um, four to five days a week working on the business, but remotely. Meaning this is the first time that I pulled myself out of production, meaning I wasn't selling, I wasn't actually leading, um, but I was just checking in on the business and working on it, but not in it. And that lasted six months. Like we were literally there for five and, a half uh, five and a half months and then traveling around to get home. So I came back to Sacramento and to the business and I was like, wow, this, this actually worked. Like I'd, I'd accomplished something. And I think it was an important moment because you know I wanted to check myself and make sure that I owned a business and I didn't have a business that owned me. And so I'm, this is 2013 and I'm meeting with the CPA and the CPA is like, hey, Daniel, what's this mod thing? You know, because virtual assistants were new. At the time, we had probably three, 400 people. And he's like, hey, what's this mod thing? And, and because the real estate company and my outdesk, they were actually making the same amount of revenue and profit. And he's like, what is this? And I explained to him what we did and how it worked. And he's like, well, that's crazy. You know, CPAs are like by the book. And then he's like, that's crazy having several hundred people over in, in the Philippines. Um, but how much time do you spend in my outdesk? I'm like, I, I'm, I typically just sell clients. That's my thing and set strategic plan. Um, because of the trip, I'd pulled myself out of production. And he's like, well, how much time do you spend on the real estate stuff? I'm like 80, 90%. He's like, well, wow, maybe you ought to flip this because my outdesk made the same amount as your real estate company. I was like, whoa, what a, what, a, what a deal. And so my CPA actually gave me the advice, which was to focus and double down on my outdesk. And I did. I let the real estate company kind of go remote and just kind of run on its own. And then I started focusing on, you know, building systems and processes and building a leadership team and actually driving revenue, creating marketing funnels, ideal customers, organizing our customer service and all the operations of the business. And we started really growing fast, quickly. 
Um, in that time, we had crossed a million dollars and we were focused, hyper-focused on getting to 500 virtual professionals because that was the marker for a $10 million company. And there's these barriers in real estate of one, 10, $50 million. You cross them and it gets easier, meaning it's, it's really hard to get to a million, but once you get to a million, it's a lot easier to get to two or five. Once you get to five million, it's very hard to get to 10, but once you get to 10, it's a lot easier to get up to 15, 20. And so there's these natural barriers inside of a business that I've got to experience personally from just growing multiple businesses. But here's, here's what's cool. Our customers, when they come in, um, all of our customers at my outdesk, they give me org chart. They they'll give me what your tech their tax stack is, like what, who they're selling their customers to, their value proposition. So after helping almost ten thousand people and hearing the same stories over and over, getting org chart, understanding their value proposition, like just looking at their technologies, I started pulling these things because we we service some large customers. Our largest ones, you know, several billion dollars a year in, in annual revenue, and I started noticing these characteristics that were similar. And you know, I'd talk to a $10 million company and another 10 million, and they had the same challenges and same problems. And so my brain works very linearly, and so I started writing these things down. And at this moment, we started working on our first book. It's Scaling Your Business with Mod Virtual Professionals, because there was these processes to hiring a virtual assistant that were very systematic. Like if you did it this way, you were gonna have success. If you were a million dollar company or a 10 million or a hundred million dollar company, if you did it this way, you were there's a higher likelihood that you were gonna have success. So we started documenting how our clients have won and how our clients have failed. And we put together a book. So it was my first experience actually writing a book, pouring my heart and soul into a book and it was my first experience really scaling a business hiring a leadership team understanding sales and marketing like it was just an insanely cool time in my history and you know leadership is tough um, when you're a small business like 10 million and below it's very easy to be the captain of that ship meaning you get to call the shots you get to hire the people you get to make the decisions it's very simple because um Although it can be difficult, there's not a lot of moving parts. But as you start scaling 50, 100 million dollars, the, the game changes and it requires the entrepreneur to actually grow. And it requires the entrepreneur to focus on not only personal growth, but giving value to your leadership team and the people that work with you. So I got this amazing opportunity to transform who I was because of the growth of our company and I needed to in order to continue to grow revenue. The next part of my story is peer groups and it's really been an accelerant to my growth. In fact, um, I remember <laughs> I'm on a bus in, uh, I think it was Canada and we're at this great ski resort. We're about to go um, up on a cat. You know, one of the founders of this peer group looks at me and says, Ramsey, you're just an asshole. You do nothing for anyone else. And I was like, N that's not right, Tim. Like, I do this and do this and do this and like, look at all this other stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. All those people work for you or our family. And I was thinking about it. And this, this group that I'm in has, it's called GoBundance, and it has these ideas of having full and pillared life, meaning all the areas of your life are measured, and then you get to self-rate them, 
and then look for opportunities to increase them, like music and dance, family and relationships, you know, income, wealth, like all the things, health. I mean, how healthy actually are you? And so the group's there, and this guy, Temi, is like, hey, Daniel, you, you, you do nothing for anyone else. You got to find some form of charity or contribution. And so what I learned in that, in, with this group, and I think it's important, is it's very lonely to own a business. It's really lonely to be in the struggle um, and also to be in your network with other people because most of the people, all the time you're spending is with the folks that work with you and your family. So it can be very isolating for the entrepreneur. And here it is, I found a group of other entrepreneurs who were also trying to make their life the best version it could be. And I was like, wow. And so at that moment, I started being a high school wrestling coach. In high school, I wrestled, I loved that sport. And so I'm on my eighth year this year and you know, it was, it's been really um, a positive thing in my life. It's been really helpful in terms of bringing joy and, and fun and just, it's cool to give back to kids. And so because of that peer group, you know, we started a nonprofit. So our company actually builds orphanages, housing, like it's just insane the kind of good work we're going to be able to give away close to a million dollars this year in just charitable contributions. There's this thing, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. You have to consistently um, look for opportunities to upgrade the people that you spend the most time with because if you're all on, you know, looking around the average person, well, as an entrepreneur, like you just, you need a peer group of other people who are hard charging and trying to accomplish things. And so even that GoBundance group, I had to join another peer group because you know their businesses weren't large. And so I had to go to find another peer group. And so mentors, peer groups, these are just ways to win. And one of the things that I've learned, and I think it's really important, and the reason I wanted to shoot this for you, is energy, focus, and time. Those things combined can equal results. And so in my life, whenever I've wanted to accomplish thing, I'm looking at like, what's my energy? You know, what's been my focus? Can I create a plan? Can I draft something? Like, how do I solve this problem? How do I get to the place that I wanna be? And then allowing the reasonable amount of time to hit that, hit that goal. And so I'm sharing this story so that you can be inspired and actually take action and so you can actually go out into your world and make complete change. Because if there's enough entrepreneurs out there in the world who want to make a positive impact on the world, you know, we'll be a better place. And so I just believe that business is the accelerant and the way forward with all the issues, whether it's whether it's the global climate stuff, our political, you know, deadlock that's happening right now, you know, you know, even in your own life, being able to give back and, and be in a place where you can give to charities and make contributions. I think business is that vehicle. And since I was a kid, I've loved this game. And so I'm recording this, this because I love this game and I know you can play at a high level.